Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2, where we look at everything from the WSL to the National League and beyond. As always, my name is Chess Warren and joining me this week, we have an absolutely great lineup. Really excited to introduce you to everyone here. First up, we have Women's Football Editor for 90 Minutes, as well as, according to her own Twitter profile, Whittenshaw Wasps most improved player for the year 06-07. It's Ali Rampling. Hello, Ali. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's it's Witness and Wasps actually. Um, sorry, sorry, yes, that's all right. They're quite a prestigious team from Suffolk, so um, yeah, keep keep an eye out for them. Rising, rising through the leagues. Definitely, definitely. And with us as well from Heart Football Hub and the Scotsman, it's Graham Falk. Hello, Graham. Hello, you all right? I was hoping I was going to get a nice big title there, but I don't think my bio is that interesting. It's fine. It's fine. Do you do you have it? Do you have any most improved stats from from any rand, random sports? No, I mean, I could maybe say most improved writer, but I don't know if anyone apart from myself would agree with that. So I think I'll just have to keep that one on the back burner, I think. Self-appointed. It happens to the best of us. But finally, we have recently appointed Burnley Assistant Manager and Head of the Academy. It's Jay Bradford. Hello, Jay. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Thank you very much for coming on. We've got lots to talk about, even though some of the WSL action got snowed off this weekend. So let's hop straight into it. Let's look back at the midweek Champions League action. On Wednesday, Arsenal took on Juventus at the Emirates. It was an early goal from Viviana Miedemar, which settled the game. And over in France, two goals from Melvin Mallard, one from Lindsay Horan and Delphine Cascanario gave Lyon a 4-0 win over Zurich, which leaves Arsenal three points clear in Group B. Ali, a really important win for Arsenal and it sets them up well in the game against Lyon on Thursday very nicely, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really good win. They've done so well to take four points from those two two games against Juventus, I think. And yeah, the fact they go into these final two matches with their destiny in their own hands and the fact that they, they can top the group, which is, you know, it's arguably one of the, the toughest groups in the Champions League this season. The fact that they can, uh, yeah, if they if they get a draw against Leon, it, yeah, they're, 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 they'll basically top the group, which I think is a it's a huge achievement given the the injuries they've had to contend with and sort of the way they've they've dealt with those injuries in comparison the last season. It was freezing at the Emirates um on Wednesday night and I think that's going to be kind of a continuing theme throughout the um throughout the podcast today with the games that, that have um that have happened. But a one 0 win for Arsenal grinding out those wins when maybe arguably they wouldn't have been able to do it in the same sort of fashion last season. Jay, do you think that this kind of shows how the team has kind of progressed under the the manage, managership? Yeah, I think they've definitely improved. I think I think they're like a really strong side, and I know they weathered a bit of a storm during that game. But I do, I do think they had chances to kill it off, and it could have been slightly more comfortable. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Last year, you know, maybe they wouldn't have seen it out at all. So yeah, I think they're they're definitely the team to watch. Also on Wednesday, there was a massive clash in Munich as Bayern blew Barcelona away. They were two goals up in the first 10 minutes through Clara Bull and Lena McGull. They then went 3-0 up on the hour mark when Leah Schuler added a third before Barca's Brazilian forward, Gazay, got a goal back with 65 minutes, but it wasn't enough and throws the group wide open as Benfica also won 3-1 in Sweden against Rosengard thanks to two goals from Chloe Larkas. 
Graham, this was kind of impressive stuff from Bayern in the end, wasn't it? Really kind of sets out a marker, especially as we've seen this Barcelona side kind of as unbeatables, especially also with the signings that they've made over the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you kind of, it's weird, you don't expect Barcelona to lose. And I know it's kind of a weird thing to say, considering they lost the, the Champions League final last year, but you're talking about a team that, you know, in, in Lyon, are specialists in that competition at that stage, especially that the history speaks volumes, I think. But um, buying as good as they are, you didn't expect them A, to win, but B, to be as comfortable as they were. I think probably the most interesting thing for me was, and I love Lucy Bronze, I'm going to point this out right here and right now for a million different reasons, but I thought Magoo destroyed her. Um, I think those two goals came down her side and you kind of expect Lucy Bronze, especially at this stage and playing for, for Barcelona to be on it, the quality of Magul. Um, we, we kind of can see what she brought during the Euros as well, I think. And I thought she was absolutely outstanding. Uh, ultimately, it's good for the game. I think, you know, Barcelona and Leon have looked, and Chelsea recently have looked maybe the, at least in the top five sides with probably Barcelona as probably the best, although, like I say, they did lose last year um, to Leon. But I think, you know, Chelsea is another, another team that forced to be reckoned with at the, right at the top end of uh, women's European football. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned there kind of Bayern not being one of those top sides because it's, it's true. Like Wolfsburg are five points top of the Frau Bundesliga. Um, um, Bayern Munich are, are in second. Jake, how important do you think it is that a team that aren't kind of topping their leagues are able to grind out this sort of really convincing tactical win as well? It's funny you mentioned there, Graham, about like Lucy Lucy Bronze being targeted by Lena McGall um, down down that side. She's a, a world-class player, has won Best Player of the Year um, a couple of years ago. Um, and so like showing that these teams kind of can be toppled if they're they're beaten tactically. Is how important is that for for the Champions League for other teams who are not necessarily um, kind of the the best on paper? Yeah, I think it it sends a bit of a message, doesn't it? That if you if you can set a team up tactically and they can execute, then you know it, it does make the competition more interesting, particularly for neutral fans of, of that of that competition. So yeah, I thought it was a really impressive performance, and and I think. Um, Although the buying keeper was obviously caught out for the goal, I thought she was exceptional. She made some key saves and key moments, and you need those those big players in those big moments to step up. And I thought what Bayern did is they played the other side of Lucy Bronze, which sometimes teams aren't brave enough to do. You know, they're they're so wary of her ability, and they allow her to almost do what she wants down down that side of the pitch. And and Bayern didn't. They they countered her at every moment, and and really made her question whether when to go forward and when she had to sit. So, yeah, I thought tactically that, that they were spot on. And I thought at one point the camera panned to the to the Bayern bench and other staff just looked thrilled with themselves because, you know, they're sort of nodding and looking at each other and smiling as if to say, you know, I think we might have done it. And and that's obviously a, a nice feeling to have. But when I think everybody else can see it as well, I think it's it's super impressive. On Thursday, uh, Chelsea travelled to Madrid as they took on Real Madrid away. Just like to say as an aside before we get into covering this game, not that we were there, they have heaters in their press box. If any WSL clubs are listening, that'd be something that we would very much appreciate. Uh, But Caroline Weir put Real Madrid ahead on the 36th minute and Chelsea was only able to get back into the second half through an own goal by Misa Rodriguez. 
Ali, Emma Hayes was really, really critical of Chelsea's performance here. A win would have seen them through, but I'm guessing a point in Spain isn't so bad, but she was not happy with their performance. Tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, her comments at full time were pretty scathing. I think she said it was the, the worst or as bad as she's seen Chelsea in and out of possession sort of ever, really. Um, and yeah, I think, well, especially first half. Um, and yeah, they obviously they took uh, they took off Fleming and they took off Ericsson at half time. And I think it could have been could have been anyone that came off. Really, it was um, it wasn't a great a great first half performance. It just seems so so transitional. No one could get hold of the ball. It was a very just sort of loose passes going everywhere. Um, uh, but yeah, obviously, like uh, it's not the end of the world because they've done the hard work in the sort of the, the three previous matches. So the, their destiny is still in their own hands. They can still top the group. So although it wasn't wasn't a great performance, a point was was probably a good result, and it means you know they'll they'll avoid the sort of the disaster they had last last season where, where they didn't qualify at all, and they you know they can still top the group, which is which is again very impressive given it's a group with PSG and Real Madrid in. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think we're going to get to the point where Emma Hayes is going to have the same situation as last year, where they're genuinely looking looking down the face of not being able to make it into um, into the quarterfinals and out of the group stages. But with with the win that PSG had four nil over um, Albanian side Valencia, um, do you think realistically they will top Graham, or do you think Real and PSG still has a chance to kind of? A break it in even though this one was dubbed kind of the group of death as we were when the Champions League um, groups got drawn. Yeah it definitely felt like one and I do think obviously there's always a chance and I don't want to go on any recorded podcast and say there's not one because of course that will end up with egg on my face. Um, I think if I had to be pushed for an answer I think they probably will um, but I think looking at Going back to the, the Chelsea Real performance, it shows that like any team can have a bit of an off day. But I think what you find with obviously the the top sides that are all within that group is that even like on an off day, for example, like Chelsea having that first 45 was by Emma Hayes' standards. And that's exactly what she was going on about. I think with standards, she set a standard that it's dropped below it. They can still get themselves back into games. So it's like you're going to have to hope to qualify that, you know, the team have a bad for 90 minutes and don't recover from it and how often does that happen with top teams it just doesn't but from a personal perspective I'm obviously a huge Caroline Weir fan because of my um, place where I live which is in Scotland obviously so um, anything that sees her happy keeps me happy so um, no offence to Erin here whatsoever just I particularly like Caroline Weir so talking about Caroline Weir and things that make her happy. Things that make her happy are chips against Manchester United. Luckily, she doesn't play for City anymore. But on that note, I think it's time that we talk about the WSL. And there's only really one place to start, and that's at the Etihad. Another record-breaking crowd to tell you about, this time at a Manchester City home game, as 44,259 people saw this Manchester derby. It finished all even as Laura Coombs' stooping header in the second half cancelled out Leah Galton's first half strike. The Women's Football Podcast were there. Uh, Producer Luke was there. And Graham, you were there too. How did you find this game? Interestingly, I think it's one of those games where I realised that I know nothing about football, which is probably not a good place to start this conversation. But um, a lot of people disagreed with my my play ratings and my take on it. I actually thought, I think um, somebody wrote that Manchester United would be the happy. And I kind of understand 
and uh, the chances after the equalise. But I just thought Bunny United were really comfortable up until that goal. And I thought the goal came out of kind of nothing, really. It was... It wasn't great down that. I think it was the left-hand side. It came down down Hannah Blundell's side. And obviously, um, my Leticia could have done slightly better. But I thought outside of that, for me, and people have disagreed with me on it, but I thought my Leticia's performance was excellent. I thought she's up against Bonnie Shaw, who's an absolute handful. Um, she actually physically a few times did really well. And, and I thought the whole defence did really well. But I think... I think Man United will be the more disappointed. I think a few people thought City would be, but I think, you know, Mark spoke afterwards about how his team had came off and they were really disappointed that they sort of dropped two points and he was saying that's um, a mentality switch, I think he was saying. And long likes to do everything about the game and the intricacies and everything that goes with it. And I think for me, um, Mark was right in that sense. I think Man United, for me, should have been the more disappointed because I thought for nearly 60 minutes they were kind of at ease. Although the game was fairly even, I suppose, in the first half. I thought if anyone was more likely to, it was Man United. And it didn't really surprise me when Leah Galton scored. Um, I think you'll take it, though. You know, I think um, I would like to see Man United have a title charge. I'm not going to deny that. And I think they can do with... With Russo and Tuna in the team, you can, and there's a lot of other players outside of that as well that are great. You know, obviously, on is, in my opinion, one of the best fullbacks in the world at the moment, if not the best. Um, and I, I do think on paper that United have a better team, if I'm honest. Um, but I thought City responded well, and I suppose City fans listening to this might say we get chances towards the end, which Mary had to pull off quite a few saves. So a good game to watch. From about 30 minutes, well, about 60 minutes, at like 30 minutes towards the end. I think before that, it was maybe a bit frantic and it slightly edged it. Yeah, I think people listening in would be kind of not surprised at your comments by saying that United had the stronger side. But I think this is probably the first time where that has realistically been the case. United still have yet to beat City in the WSL and they have been playing each other for what is it three three or four years now like quite a few seasons and so I think that that's a stat that kind of feels like a stickler I also think that that mentality change you mentioned there is very true in the sense of before it would be we've gone to a top three side and managed to clamber a point from that and that's excellent even though obviously technically they were they were on top I, I feel like I think that's why it was quite frustrating watching the game was because they did appear to be the kind of stronger side until until about after the 60th probably about the the 65th minute because even after the goal was scored they came back strong and then kind of fell fell back from it and that's when Marriott started to make those saves um but Mark's going to mention their uh, mentality um Katie Zeller mentioned mentality after the um Arsenal game to come out of the Emirates and um and and, and play like that and come back from from when being behind Jay how important is it changing a mentality of a side um and kind of having that belief within yourself and I, I know you experienced that with with Coventry um last last season and how and how do you change that for the players I think it's key I think it's it's one of the most vital ingredients if you're going to start turning those types of games into into three points and I think if Man United are going to go on and like you say, maybe have a title surge or really break that top three. Those games and those results really do need to start turning. Um, they've definitely got strength and depth to do it. Experienced players that will help with that mentality shift, but it, you have to live it and breathe it every day. And and obviously, you know, Mark will know that. And 
and the players that he's brought in will know that, you know, the England girls that he's got in that group are going to be invaluable for him. And I think it's just a case of once they tip one result that way in a game like that, because I thought they had chances again to kill the game off and they didn't quite do it. And then obviously, you know, it leaves the game open and then Mary Oaks is called into action towards the end, as, as you mentioned. So I think, yeah, I think it will take maybe one or two results to go their way. And then that belief almost, you know, realigns itself with what you live and breathe every day. Gareth Taylor admitted that Manchester United were better in the first half. Um, the midfield was kind of lost um, lost by by City, but it kind of changed when Hasegawa um, came on into the second half. She's playing a bit of a deeper position, of really filling into that six to cover um, for Ke- the loss of Kira Walsh in the, in the side a bit more. Ali, how do you feel about her kind of fitting into this team well? And do you think that transfer is paying off for the Sky Blues? I think she's such a fantastic player, Hasegawa. I think she's one of the best technical players in the in the in the top flight. Um I think she's been great. She's been great in games where City in that role when City have possession because she's so good on the ball um and the way she can pick passes and sort of break the lines is fantastic. Um I think yeah just potentially where they struggle with her in that role is she can't she's not as sort of defensively minded as someone like Kira Walsh could be. She can't break play up necessarily as as effectively and I think you saw that a few times with the way sort of Toon could burst through City are potentially sometimes a little bit more exposed when she's there. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, she's such a fantastic player in possession and she fits in so well in that, you know, the, the way that City like to play. But yeah, you do feel sometimes they potentially need someone just a bit more defensively minded to maybe shore, shore things up a bit in there for them. Producer Luke caught up with Ella Toon after the game. Here's that clip. Good result for you in the end, or are you disappointed? It felt like two points dropped, do you think? Personally, disappointed. Um, I think you want to win a Manchester derby. Um, That just shows the spirit that we have in the team, that we want to go out and win every single game. So when you do drop two points, it's it's not the result that we wanted, but um, we'll take it and we'll move on and we'll... We'll review the game and we'll we'll look at things that we need to improve on and hopefully next time we'll take our chances. You felt like you were in control for a lot of that as well. Yeah, and I think they were as well. We know they were they like the ball, they like keeping possession. Um I think it was about us being patient and when we got the ball we needed to keep it ourselves. Um but yeah, there were it it changed in games. Uh, they had spells on the ball and then we had spells on the ball. They created chances, we created chances. So probably in the end it was it was a fair result. Do you think there's a different spirit to the team this year? You've gone to Arsenal on one, you've got a point here now. Do you think it's different mentality to last year? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think people look at us now as a big team and a team that they need to beat and want to beat. Um, but we know that we can go anywhere and, and get three points. So that's why I think as a team we're a bit disappointed today. Um, I think if we take our chances, it, it could have been three points. Great crowd and great support for, for the United fans as well. Yeah, as always, we know um, how amazing they are for us. Um, they follow us up and down the country and yeah, they made t- today special and we know how special derby days are in Manchester um, and I thought it was a great game with with loads of chances in it. Um, so yeah, they were, were our 12th man like they always are. So Ella Toon is one of those players there who's recently kind of signed another contract extension keeping her at the club until I think it's 2026. Um, United have some players who've like really improved during their tenure at the club, but a lot of them have their contracts kind of coming up at the end of this season. The big question I think to kind of ask is 
Will Manchester United make that top three to kind of get them to stay or are those players dead and gone anyway? Russo being a big one. Graham, can you sign, uh, can you shine a bit of light on the situation of what's going on with Russo's contract? Because I, for one, would quite like her not to get pinched by Leon in the January transfer window. Can you, are, are you going to tell me that's what's about to happen? Please don't. Or if you really know, please do. <laughs> I think when it comes to to transfers, I think things can change on like a daily to hourly basis. And you can be told someone's going somewhere, something's going to happen, and then things change at the, the last point. I think for, for me with, with Leslie Russo, I think it's a case of she just come off of winning a massive major tournament in the Euros. Um, we're talking about mentality there. What does that create? A desire and a need for trophies almost like a it becomes like a drug, doesn't it? Once you have one thing, you don't want to just suddenly be part of a project that might win one in a couple of years' time. And Alessia is 23, I think. Um, she's improving at a rapid rate. There's not much like her in this in this division. I mean, I think she's more physical than any other striker in this league. I think she her work ethic, her pressing is different to anyone else in this league. And whilst I think Mark's doing a great job, I know some people don't agree with that. I think he's improved a lot of players. I think Katie Zellum has massively improved under him. Not that she was poor beforehand, but she's became pinnacle and one of the better players in the league under him. I think it will depend on whether Alessia wants to wait for that project at Manchester United to come to fruition. And how long is that really going to take? I think as a fan, you could probably wait a couple of years for them to become real title favourites. If you're Russo, do you want to wait until 2025, 2026 to get your hand on another trophy? I don't know. I I wouldn't. Um, if I've just won sort of a, um, a Euro, European championship and I feel I'm one of the best strikers in the league and other people think I'm one of the best strikers in the league, do I want to get my hands on more trophies or do I want to wait to play for the club that I supported as a kid and get my hands on it then? It'll come down to her own mentality with that. Um I think one thing that probably plays in favour with Manchester United is they are in the title race. They did beat Arsenal. They did get beat of Chelsea, fair enough, but it's the only game they've lost this season. Could she potentially say, well, I'll wait out the six months and see where we, we finish and then the ball is in her court because I can't act up then anyway. I think they'll probably be quite prepared to wait. Do I think anyone would be prepared to pay the asking price for a player out contract in six months? How much will she cost? I don't think so as good as she is. So I think a lot of it will come down to where Manchester United finish at the end of the season. But I'm interested. Well, Leon are a massive, massive football club in women's football and Alessio Russo is one of the best strikers in the world at the moment. If they're not, I'd be surprised. Yeah. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because we just had Signe Brun come, come to United, obviously on loan, and then I oh, know she was out for injury for most of it, but she, her and Russo kind of seemed to play the same sort of position. So it's whether they'd kind of do, do the reverse. Russo, who obviously we've just been speaking about there, has just won PFA Player of the Month too. So even when she's not scoring left, right and centre, she's proven to be clinical. And she'll always still be a fan favourite, whether she stays at Manchester United or not. But I, I want to I vox pop here now. Graham, Ali, Jay, going to go around each of you in turn. Are Manchester United going to get top three this season, Graham? Yes. Ali? Yes. Jay? Yes. Oh, 
a lovely bit of my heart. Really, really loved that because watching that Manchester City game felt like I was watching it all slip through my fingers again. But the season is long and we still have time to go. So we'll see. We'll see if some random team slips up to like Brighton as they norm as they normally do. But to a team that I actually thought there was potentially going to be a major slip up here at the start of this fixture, Villa Park, where Carla Ball took on Ida Ball. I like that little pun there that producer Luke has put in the script. It was looking like Carla Ball would be successful as Villa took the lead through Kirsty Hansen's first goal for Villa. A great strike from the edge of the area. But Arsenal equalised through a Rachel Corsi own goal. Really unfortunate moment as Katie McCabe's cross ricocheted off Corsi and over the line. And as Arsenal do, they were ahead soon enough after Villa failed to clear a corner and Miedemar volleyed at home. The Gunners captain, Katie McCabe, added a third on the 63rd minute. Jordan Nobbs rounded off scoring from the bench. Ali, can we say that Viv Miedemar is back? She scored midweek. She scored again on Sunday. She's spoken about how her break has done her good. Can you see it that her break's done her good? Do you think she's back in form now? Because there's been a lot of criticism about her and her positioning this season. Yeah, I think she's been brilliant since she's come back from that break. And I think her and Ida have both spoken so well about the importance of allowing her to have that and yeah, just how beneficial it's been and the importance of players speaking up when they when they need to 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 take time off. Um and he's done that before he let um it was uh, Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford after the, the Australia uh, after the Asia Cup last season. They both had a bit of time off after that and then they came back and were both exceptional in the second half of the season for Arsenal um, and yeah I think you're seeing the same with with Miedema. it's not just her goals I think the last couple of games against Juventus and against Villa sort of her link-up play and just the way she can um, yeah like split defence with a pass has been yeah absolutely exceptional and yeah obviously as you said there's been a lot of talk about whether she should be playing in the 10 or in the 9 this season and yeah I think you know the, the way she is the way she's been able to link play in the last few games has shown why she is so good at playing that number ten role. Um, so yeah, yeah, she's been she's been brilliant since 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 coming back from that that break. On the side of Villa, though, Jay Villa have scored more goals already this season than they did last season. Have you enjoyed watching them? I know that I have. There's there's some little spark about them. I find them kind of. They just are really good to watch because they can pull off. They're, they feel very confident in their play. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think they did some really sensible business um, during the transfer window. And I think those players have have hit the ground running, which is what you always want them to do when you've signed them. So, yeah, they're, they're great going forward. I've got some slight question marks over them defensively. I think they're because of how fluid they are going forward, they're very, they're very transitional side at the moment. And I'm sure Carla's going to want to tidy that up going into the second half of the season because, you know, they went 1-0 up and then all of a sudden the game finishes well well out of their reach. So I know Arsenal are a top side and it's maybe not a game that Villa were looking at, but it's a game that they did find themselves 1-0 up in. So I think that, that transition and those moments where they're not as organised defensively, I think probably could cause them some problems. I'm not, you know, for me, they're safe. They're not going to have the the same flirt with relegation as they did last year. But I think it's it's just a question mark for me that, yes, they're great going forward, but it, it does leave them exposed. It was an entertaining game at a very snowy Kingsmeadow as well as Chelsea took on Reading. 
looked like it was going to be business as usual and a very comfortable win for the Blues as they raced 3-0 in the first half lead thanks to Fran Kirby and a double by Jelena Kankovic. It looked like Chelsea would rack up the goals, but Reading fought back well and made it a tight finish as Trollsgaard and Amelia Eichland scored two quick-fire goals to leave Emma Hayes sweating in the cold. I actually thought my footmob app had crashed when it said that they had scored two goals within two minutes. Graham, does this kind of show the strength and depth at Chelsea? They made six changes from their Champions League one and they still won the game. It was tight in the end, but it was still a very different looking side to the one that came out earlier on in the week. Yeah, I think their strength and depth is solid. I mean, we're going back a while ago now, but I've seen Chelsea play in pre-season friendly sort of before the season started last season and it was like half a side and it was still a bunch of superstars. And it was just like, what a squad, just a unit is there as well. But I think if there's one thing that the likes of Arsenal, Man United and potentially Man City want to take from that is that they were poor in the first half against Real Madrid. And I know they're not going to come up against Real Madrid that often in the league. Um, but Reading is maybe slightly a different situation. And I think Emma spoke about um, complacency in the second half. And I think that's the best way to sum it up. Um but then on the flip side, do you think Emma Hayes is going to let any of her side be complacent? It's tough to knock them off their perch. I mean, just to go back to Manchester United, I've been really impressed with them this season. I'm really impressed with what Mark's doing. The Chelsea Man United game going back to the start of November, Chelsea just wants to kick it up the gear. Once they fancy that it was just they were just too good. And there were still options on the bench that they could have changed there and then. Um, you've still got players missing from that squad. I mean, if you look through the, the team that lined up for Chelsea that day, uh, yesterday, sorry, this like Beth England's up front. Frank Kirby kind of played almost like up front in that number ten role. But your bench, Lauren James, Jesse Fleming, Sam Kerr, Kitty Shibby Cannon, like if you can set players on a bench and rest them and still get a win, what hope have you got? I mean, you're effectively saying I mean, to be fair to Arsenal, I suppose they've coped without Williamson for a bit. They've coped without um Viv for a little bit. And obviously they're gonna to have to cope without Beth. So as much as Emma Hayes is probably frustrated and annoyed with the second half performance, there must be part of her where she's looking and thinking, I'm so far ahead of anything else in this league based on the squad that I've got. And I think, you know, her and Paul Green have both said this year that it's the best squad that they've ever had. And I've yet to see someone disagree or argue with that. And I think it's hard to do so. So we've had complacency and, and like the depth of the squad. Um Ali, do you think there's maybe a question mark over the goalkeeping situation? And I'm saying this out of like true love for Ian Katrinberger. I think she's awesome, but she made a mistake midweek and was at fault for Reading's first goal. There doesn't really seem to be a key, like a very clear one-two at Chelsea when when it comes to the goalkeeper situation. Sakira Musovic seems to be kind of waiting in the wings, but she does still come in and play some WSL games. It doesn't really seem like a Maria Sophie Bagley situation at Manchester United, for example, where it's very clear who's who's playing what and, and what each of their players' roles are. If you were Musovic, would you be? I I kind of feel like Emma Hayes isn't gonna 
have a player in her squad who isn't pushing to play in the first team. And so when they're both kind of in the same sort of level, I don't really know why Musovic hasn't kind of pushed to to play more, especially when AKB is like actively making mistakes. Do you think we're going to see more of her or do you think she just is the second choice keeper? And is that then the right position for her to be in as she's kind of someone who's coming up and hoping to start consistently for Sweden, for example? Yeah, it's interesting because like you said, I don't think it is a, necessarily a clear sort of one-two at Chelsea and whenever Musovic has played for them, she's she's been great. Um, I think it was against against Tottenham last season when, when Anne Katchenberg has got, got sent off and Musovic had to come into that, you know, it's a not not ideal conditions to come into and she was she was excellent. And yeah, she's she's a very, very solid option to have as a as a number two for, for want of a better word. And there's you know, there's a few teams in the WSL where you see that kind of situation when there isn't necessarily a, a clear one-two situation at Tottenham you know you've got you've got Becky Spencer and, and Corpella who do seem to rotate depending on on the opposition um yeah I think I think Berger's Berger's mistake midweek was was potentially worse than the one uh the one on Sunday I think I you know it's it's not it's not great from her but also she's probably not she's freezing and probably hasn't touched she, you know she barely touched the ball in the in the first half and the, the conditions weren't ideal as well so it's obviously not not a great piece of goalkeeping but I think there were potentially factors that con- contributed to it and I don't, I don't think it was great defending from Millie Bright and the build-up to that as well she sort of scuffed her clearance a little bit so um, yeah I think I think Berger's a fantastic goalkeeper and yeah although there's been a couple of mistakes um, I don't think it's uh, yeah necessarily yeah she shouldn't be sort of banished from the first team after after this week sort of thing. Despite the defeat, though, for Reading, Kelly Chambers will be kind of encouraged to see how they reacted with that second half performance, won't won't she? Jay, what do you think and how important is it that even when you're not getting points from games like this, that you're showing that you can come up and you've got the confidence to come up against these top teams? Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think, you know, they would have looked at that game at 3-0 and potentially thought, Let's hope it doesn't go four, five, six, seven, which we know Chelsea can do. So for them to come back and and give give Chelsea a real scare, I think, you know, they deserve full credit. And and the fact that they're, I think I'm right in saying this, they're the only club not in the Premier League in the WSL linked to a Premier League club. And I think, you know, they are a banana skin for a lot of teams. They do trip teams up along the way. And they're the, they're the kind of team that they're not going to go and win it, but they could stop you winning it just by one-off results. And I think those teams are, are the ones to watch. So, yeah, I think um, I think they'll take huge, huge heart from yesterday and, and hopefully start, you know, picking up some more points. Another London derby also took place this weekend as Spurs took on West Ham at Brisbane Road. The Hammers had the chance to take the lead from a penalty spot after Katie Longhurst was brought down, but Dagny Brian's Dottier fired the penalty wide. She did make up for it, though, four minutes into the second half as she fired home, and Howard Sissoko, who has had a mixed season, bless her, managed to chip in a second. Mittal Samji was there for us, and he caught up with the victorious Hammers manager, Paul Kontreski, after the game. First half, we weren't at the races, or Tottenham was good. But I think my girls dug in to stay in the game. We changed the shape again second half and I, I thought we were fantastic. I think from the start of the second half to the end, I thought there was only one team that was going to win. And um, the girls, they dug in well. And like I say, two goals, clean sheet. 
missed penalty, so um, we're happy in there. So we go into the break all happy. We, we won a better last year, so however we get there, we, we'll get there. Um, but sitting fifth right now, I think we've done a fantastic job, but we can't lie on that. We, we will have a break. The, the girls deserve a good break and we'll have to go again. And listen, we've got a tough start to, to January and we'll be ready to go and hopefully we can pick up a lot more points. Yeah, and just to add to that for how Sissoko's got second for the second goal. Um, I remember from the reverse fixture last season at the Hive, she got sent off. How much, how important was that goal for? And I don't really want to talk about last year because it's a, it's a different year for Howa. So Howa's been fantastic for us. <clears throat> Obviously, she's had a, a tough start to the season, but every time she's played, she's been fantastic. And we don't really care who scores, but I'm pleased that Howa scored. That she. She does deserve it, mm. uh, but she keeps them at the other end. So that's her job to keep them at the back of the net and not to go and score them. But to be fair, she's done both today, so it's fantastic for us. And how pleased were you with the defensive shades? I think defensively, like, with Kate Longhurst showing her experience today, who saw Fisk, even Sissoko today, were absolutely brilliant. So how, how proud were you with the defensive shape today? Yeah, second half, really, really proud. Um, I think that's been my back four for most of the season when I played in the four. And I think all four of them was fantastic, along with the goalkeeper. Um, like I say, we're a team, so it starts from the front and Claudia came in today and she works her socks off. But it goes back to the Maco as well. So the 11 of them, whoever come onto the pitch, they was fantastic. And you don't maybe score as much scores as you initially like, but how are you looking to probably maybe improve that in the second half of the season? Yeah, um, we'd like to, but I'd take a win every game. I'd win 1-0 every game. So if we, look, if we win football matches, that's all that matters. Ali, West Ham have snuck up unnoticed, really, into fifth position. And you've got to give it to Koncheski. You've got to give him some credit, haven't you? They're a team that seem to be playing really kind of exciting football and taking it to teams. Maybe before we wouldn't have seen or we wouldn't have expected them to beat Tottenham or bring it to Tottenham in in this way. But they seem to have a newfound confidence. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, as you said, Paul Koncheski's done, I think he's done a really good job there, like taking over... Molly Harder sort of he was the assistant manager there and it can kind of go one or two ways when when an assistant manager takes over from from the, the head coach but Harder had done a really good job there and sort of had the, the foundations in place and and Koncheski's really sort of uh carried on from where from where he left off and they've really hit the ground running under him and um yeah Tottenham are the better size um the first half on on Sunday and then Koncheski made made a substitute at half time he brought on Lisa Evans and switched to a front three and and that sort of changed changed the game really, and West Ham that's so so much more threatening going forward as a result of that. So, yeah, I think massive credit to Koncheski for, for the change he's made. Um, and yeah, there was a I don't know if anyone's seen it. There's a brilliant video on West Ham's Twitter today of them all like celebrating the change room after. Um, it's like yeah, Kate Longhurst like started the chant, and then you've got honestly I've watched it, like seven times. You just have to look in all the different places because there's like uh, Vivian Asahi's like slapping the tactics board. And then you've got Dagny Brennan there, like with her kid just sort of bouncing merrily on her lap. It's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think it showed showed how much that result in the London Derby meant to them. And yeah, you know, West Ham are fifth at the moment. It's been been a really good first half of the season for Kinchesky, I think. As Kate Longhurst said last season, have some of that. But Graham, they have leapfrog Spurs now. It's three defeats in a row for them. After last season, do you think Rianne Skinner is going to be coming under a little bit of pressure? Because the results just are not coming and the goals really aren't either. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, do really rate her um, as a boss, but I think it's really, really cliche and obvious, but football's a results business. 
don't win games, don't score goals, you, you're going to be under pressure naturally. I had some good results last season. I think they beat Man City early doors and stuff like that. And, and obviously you can see some progression there. And I don't know whether progression has really translated across into this season as well, which is, I think it's always... It's always a bit worrying, isn't it, when you do a new season and you think, well, what's the next step? And it actually goes a little bit backwards. But it's an old season. I think things can change so rapidly. And I think the way the WSL works, you've got like basically three little mini tables, haven't you? In the case of all the teams that are there, you've got your, your top three, maybe top four, then your middle part. They'll probably want to be as close to the top of that middle part as possible, which they aren't at the moment, but they'll be miles away. So a couple of decent results. Should be all right. Should be fine. A couple of bad results. It's a crisis and disaster, and she's going to be under a lot of pressure. But that's football, and I'm sure she knows that very well. Brighton versus Everton and Liverpool versus Leicester were both called off due to frozen pitches. Attendances are still rising. They're up 200% in the WSL and 85% in the Championship. Jay, especially in the championship, you were managing a championship team last season and it's great to see kind of like the development of that division, isn't it? And the kind of, well, development of people who are coming coming to watch. Yeah, I think fan attendance is crucial. I think it's, it's you know, it's one of the key elements of the game that, that everybody plays a part in growing. And I think you are right, the championship teams have seen, you know, bigger attendances I guess my only question and hesitation is, is that when it's at the men's stadia or is it being replicated, you know, in in their usual home grounds, which are obviously slightly smaller, maybe slightly more difficult to get to. Some don't necessarily play in their demographic. So I think clubs still have work to do in that area. And, and I think we need to make it as accessible as possible and hopefully translate those fans that do make the effort to go to men's stadia across both WSL and championship that they then want to go to, like I say, those slightly smaller grounds that are, you know, maybe a, a little trickier to get to. It was also the FA Cup third round this weekend. Only seven games actually took place due to the weather. The most eye-catching game took place in the northeast, though, where ambitious Newcastle took on another side who've got big ambitions, and that's Wolves. Was a comfortable win for Wolves, though, in the end, with Beth Merrick scoring a couple in a 5-1 win. But it was a Tier 3 side against a Tier 4 side, so I wouldn't say that win is too surprising. Two ambitious clubs in an intriguing tie. I'm guessing Wolves' experience kind of sawed them through in the end, didn't it, Jay? Yeah, you know, they, they were great side. And obviously, I know a lot of those players. I, I had I had Beth Merrick at Cov. Um, we won the league together. Maz Gauntlet was one of my players. Amber Hughes, Helen Dermody, you know, all those players that turn up week in, week out for Wolves and, and make them a great side. And, and I think Wolves as a club as a whole are doing really positive things for the women's game. And that was definitely a game I think people were looking at yesterday. And I think probably the, the size of the scoreline surprised people. But Wolves are clinical. Give them chances. Give any of those players that I've just mentioned chances. Plus, obviously, you know, the players that have been at Wolves a while, they they don't miss many. So, yeah, I think it was... Um, after, I actually spoke to a couple of the players after the game to sort of say, well done. And, you know, I think they were not surprised by the scoreline, but 
were, were expecting possibly a slightly closer encounter. Graham, in Scotland, it was the Sky Sports Cup final at Tynecastle and Rangers prevailed over Hibernian in the end, didn't they? How did you find the fixture? Yeah, I was obviously at City yesterday, um, so I didn't get to catch it live because it kicked off at the same time. But obviously, um, unbeknown to people who might listen to this, obviously I helped with Glasgow City, so a bit of a pang because um, I love Glasgow City. I'm a Glasgow City fan, and obviously I, I'm, I'm connected to the club um, on a weekend. Um, so a bit of a shame that for all the history and, and everything that Glasgow City have brought to women's football in Scotland, they weren't there for the first Sky Sports game, but I don't want that to deflect away from how big of a moment it was. Um, I think it was great. I spoke to um, Ailey Barber, Clang, um, for an interview on Wednesday, I think it was, um, and she spoke really well about visibility and, and what that's going to bring. But there's a, if anyone wants to catch up on uh, women's football in Scotland and, and kind of find out more about it, if you if you're new to it, there's a guy called Chris Marshall, which I think is at Mersh does on on Twitter, and he posts so much good stuff and has done for years, and is far more rehearsed than Scottish women's football than I am. But um, he posted how many views was on Lizzie Arnott's goal, um, which was an absolute screamer, by the way. Um, how many views were on that when Sky Sports posted it and it's astronomical for Scottish women's football. Um, I think it would be wrong of me to say that, you know, Scottish women's football at SWPL is anywhere near what the WSL is, but it's getting there. Um, but it needs help from stuff like Sky Sports and, and Sky Sports is, is massive. And I think Ellie Barber was saying, you know, visibility, for example, I was asking her about the visibility of her as a presenter, a female presenter that, you know, one of the first to be on there and what she sort of without even noticing will have done for you know little girls and little boys who can see a woman presenting the show it's going to be the same for like little scottish boys and little scottish girls they can now see oh that's rangers but the, the women that are playing and that just hasn't happened as much in in scotland as it has in england over the past few years and it's it's monumental really because yes you're going to get the negative comments and stuff like that of course but eventually you know once that um should we say it normalizes itself quote unquote to see a women's Scottish football team on TV, then it's naturally going to become a lot more equal. I think the big thing is the money that they're going to bring in. Um, you know, football's a business, whether we like it or not. Um, money is required to push things forward. And Sky Sports are obviously huge. Sky Sports, not just commenting, uh, uh, sort of showcasing the game, sorry, putting money into the competition as well. It's going to be absolutely huge. Um, it was a great, great occasion to see. I was I was really lucky um, to meet Ian Crocker. Obviously, I think people will know Sky Sports commentator. He's obviously the voice of the old firm, as he's known. He was at the Glasgow City Rangers game, stood next to us and, and really kind of tried to get a full understanding of how Rangers play, how they work. And then I think he did the same with Hibs a, a few weeks later at one of their games. And hearing his voice commentating on Kirsty Howard scoring the winner just sounded amazing. And I, I know that's really weird because... There's nothing to say that he because he commented it is better, but just hearing a regular voice commentating on a game that I follow every week but don't see on TV is great. And I think um from a personal perspective, Kirsty Howard, who scored the second goal, hit the bar, could have possibly got a second. It was great to see her score a goal. She's um been involved in Scottish women's football for a long time with Glasgow City, multiple title winner before even I was at Glasgow City, but she's She's Rangers through and through. She's, you know, she's been Rangers since she was a little girl, as far as I'm aware. She had a really nasty ACL injury about 18 months ago at Celtic Park, which is literally the worst place to have a seizing end injury for a big Rangers fan. She gradually got back in, made an impact off the bench, and to see her come on and score um, 
from a personal perspective was really nice. I'm really pleased that she got a bit of the limelight because she's um, a fantastic person who's, who's battled back from obviously a really big injury. And as much as I wish it was Glasgow City lifting that trophy, I think ultimately the, the big picture is that Scottish women's football should now hopefully at least be a little bit more on the map. And, and, you know, there will be people who watch that game that were impressed with it, that'll tune into, I think they've said there's going to be a minimum of five games, including that one. So the other four games that come, there's going to be people that will be watching it based on watching that cup final. And that can only be seen as a positive. Coming up this week, then it's a rearranged WSL fixture between Spurs and Everton on Wednesday. And then it's the Champions League action on Thursday and Friday. The next week, the teams who have their FA Cup games postponed this weekend will try again. That includes your side, Jay, as they take on Norwich. How are you finding it there? Are you enjoying yourself? Yeah, I'm loving it. It's it's a club that have huge ambition, which was really important for me. You know, it was one of the key reasons that attracted me to the club. And they're really engaging in terms of, you know, how we're going to move that project forward. And, and obviously working with Jonathan Morgan as well, who's massively experienced, I think, between the two of us and, between the club's ambition, I think it's it's a, in a really positive place. So yeah, we're we're definitely looking forward to our rearranged fixture. Awesome, that's it. Many thanks to Ali, Graham, and Jay. Graham, where can we find you on social media? No way, don't follow me. No, I'll lie. Um, it's just uh, at Graham Falk on Twitter. Um, I tend to just post random stuff about women's football. So if you are interested in it, that's something I'm obviously passionate about and interested in as well so hopefully there's some half decent content that you can get tucked into this brilliant ali how about you yeah i'm the same i'm on twitter just at ali rampling um i'm not great on twitter so i won't be offended if you don't follow me and jay where can we find you twitter at jay bradford 91 awesome and as always we're here at twfp1 on twitter and on instagram at the women's football podcast i will be offended if you don't follow us we're going to be back next week to review the action and bring you the latest news from the women's game remember to subscribe and leave us a review as well give us those five stars you know you want to my name has been chess warren this has been the women's football podcast have a brilliant week <laughs>